You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Third youngest player, as you saw it, he hit clean up in a World Series, and he just cleaned up. Wow. Pitch was up. The game is tied, and that's up onto the railroad track atop the wall and left. 20 years old and just bursting with power. Wow. Joe Buck on the call last night for Fox. That was the home run by Juan Soto that is still traveling out of Minute Maid Park. He's young, he's really good, and now the rest of the world is finding out about Juan Soto. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this, Aaron's here, I'm here. Cooley's going to join us uh, before he heads to Minneapolis for the call of the game tomorrow night. But World Series Game 1 is in the books, and the Nats won it against Garrett Cole, Aaron, uh, a guy that everybody thought was unbeatable, unhittable. They got eight hits off of him. They got five runs off of Garrett Cole. Just so everybody understands, Garrett Cole had not allowed more than five earned runs since his last loss, which came on May 22nd. The five earned runs and eight hits allowed were the most for him over his last 25 starts. The Nationals got to Garrett Cole, and that's your game. You know, everything else about this game is secondary to the fact that they got to Garrett Cole uh, in his first start in the World Series. The ace, the guy who had 32 strikeouts and just one earned run and three postseason starts coming in, hadn't lost since late May. By the way, his six strikeouts were the fewest for him in his last 12 starts. The Astros have two aces in Cole and Verlander, so there was the possibility that you were going to face each of them twice and maybe even Cole three times. Who knows? I still think that's if happening. If it goes to a Game 7, and they're 1-0 against those starts right now with their shot at Verlander tonight. And the way they did it was one of the shocking things. Those two early home runs by Zimmerman, and how awesome was it that Zimmerman got the first home run? But Zimmerman and Soto, that was, that was great, but it wasn't completely unusual against Cole. Cole hadn't given up a non-home run run since late August. I didn't know that one. Yeah. So everything had been a home run through September in terms of his earned runs. And by the way, not many of them were multi uh, home runs. So that fifth inning was the shocking moment to me of last night's game. Here's something they did last night. They hit his fastball last night. And I saw this stat just before the podcast started on MLB Network. Through the ALDS and the ALCS... He had thrown, they were 7 for 44 against his fastball, hitting 159. Last night, the Nats were 5 for 16. They hit 313 with two home runs against Garrett Cole's fastball, which, by the way, is pretty damn quick. Uh, Zimmerman had the home run, which was huge in the second inning, and then Soto had the blast that you heard coming in in the fourth. And the game, after starting off poorly for the Nationals and Max Scherzer in particular, you know what? By the way, what can you say about Max Scherzer? The Astros should have gotten five or six runs off of him. He wasn't at his best. His fastball wasn't very good. His off-speed stuff was lousy last night. He allowed multiple base runners in just about every inning except for the final inning he pitched, and more on that coming up here in a moment. Um, but hitters were routinely getting to counts that were 3-2. and two. Scherzer had 25 pitches after one, 48 after two, 69 after three. He ended up with 112 pitches in just five innings, but 
He kept the Astros to two runs. Houston had five total hits, three walks, two earned runs against Max, even though he didn't have anywhere near his best stuff. He was huffing, he was puffing, he was laboring, he was in trouble. He looked spent physically after the second inning, Aaron. He just threw he threw 65 pitches on 112 total. That's well below his strike, you know, average. Um, somehow though, he got five innings in allowed only two runs. And by the way, his final inning was his best inning. By far. One, two, three. And I talked to Ray Knight about this this morning on the radio show because I said to him, was it me? Was I the only person thinking that he may come out for the sixth? He would have faced the bottom of the Houston order in the sixth inning coming off his best inning, his only stress-free inning of the game. And Ray Knight said to me, I love him as an analyst, he said, I was thinking the exact same thing. That was the first inning he walked off the mound, even though it was 112 pitches at that point, where he didn't look exhausted, where he looked confident. And I thought he was coming out in the sixth, especially considering bottom of the order and who are you going to turn to? If you turn to Corbin in the sixth, were you going to get two out of Corbin? Or were you going to go Corbin and then you were going to have to be forced? You were going to be forced to go with someone like Rainey or Rodney or somebody else before you got to the Hudson, Doolittle, Doolittle, Hudson finish. But Max Scherzer pitched a competitive, grind it out, keep my team in the game even though I don't have my best stuff. I've got to get to at least five. And, and got to keep the run count down to keep us in the game. And he did it. It was really, you know, that is when, you know, you sort of separate, I think, the truly, you know, really good pitchers from the great pitchers is when a great pitcher doesn't have his stuff and he still finds a way to get through and give you enough to give your team a chance to win, which he did last night. And it was more than that he didn't have his stuff. It was that the Astros hitters knew his scouting report exactly. They knew what he did He did at certain uh, you know, tendencies. They knew that he really relied on batters chasing. And with the exception of that one Altuve strikeout, they were not chasing him at all nope. in that game. And it took him a little while. It took him a good three or four innings to really adjust to that, to realize, oh, I can't throw this out of the strike zone. I have to completely change what I typically do here. And he did in those last, you know, that definitely that last inning and a little bit in the fourth inning, he stopped throwing it out of the zone a little bit more. And that's, you know, as you said, that's the sign of a really great pitcher. And that fourth inning, which, you know, had a very good chance of going sideways. You know, you had the Alvarez single to center. Um, and then, by the way, you had the Reddick at bat, which should have been catcher interference yes. on Suzuki, which would have put two runners on with one out in the top of the order up. But when Springer walked and you had two on, and by the way, that Springer at bat was a long at bat, and Altuve's up, and it's a long at bat, and he got out of that fourth, and it's still 2-2, you could see how fired up he was that he got out of that inning. There were, there were so many moments in the game, and I want to go through them sort of chronologically, because I think we've hit on the two, <clears throat> you know, Soto getting to Garrett Cole, Scherzer lasting five incredible innings, I mean by guile, by compete, by effort, by whatever it was. But he gave him enough to give him a chance in the game. Because imagine if you've got to come in with Corbin earlier. Or you got to come in with Rainey and you got to hit the middle. I, I really thought the Nats were in trouble in this, in this game as that pitch count got higher because you weren't going to see just a Corbin, Doolittle, Hudson bullpen. More likely than not, you were going to have to bring other guys out. 
and Rainey's, you know, uh, appearance was not very good. You know, somehow they got out of that just giving up a run. <clears throat> but anyway, um, Zimmerman's home run in the second was really big because it felt like 2 nothing with Cole on, on the hill was going to be enough almost. You didn't know that for sure, but you didn't think that Cole was going to give up much more than two runs in the game, and you thought the Astros had enough juice to generate more. And Zimmerman, on the second pitch he's ever faced in the World Series, drives it over the center field fence. And you're like, wow, that's a... And by the way, off one of those fastballs that uh, that Cole threw. That's a huge home run. It's 2-1, to one, and then you get the Soto home run in the fourth to lead off the fourth. And it's a 2-2 game, even though it felt early on, Aaron... Like, this was going to be a big Astros night. They were a huge favorite. They got off to the 2 nothing lead. It's Garrett Cole on the mound. But the, the Zimmerman shot proved that if you wait for the right pitch, you can hit Cole. You know, they hit Flaherty in Game 3, a guy that was red hot coming in. And so those were huge moments uh, in the game. There were others. Obviously, the Nats' fifth inning was big. In a 2-2 game, Suzuki walks. That had to kill Cole because he walked him on four pitches. Robles, who, by the way, was a, a disaster in center field last night, um, singles you know, off of Cole. And all of a sudden, you got your first two runners on in the fifth in a 2-2 game. You get Turner to line out, and then Eaton comes through again. You know, with a big hit, a big RBI situation, he hits a slider to right field, and you've got a 3-2 lead. Rendon then, I thought, in the first key moment of the game, Aaron, Rendon hits into a potential double play mm -hmm. that would have gotten Cole out of the fifth with a 3-2 lead and, and not having to face Soto with runners on. And Rendon hits a ground, hard ground ball into the hole. It's It's... A great plays made. The throw to first, Rendon just beats out. No double play. Rendon gets to bat with two runners on. And that was huge. You know, one of those underrated things that Rendon... Rendon was 0 for 4 on the night. Yes. But running that out and beating that throw allowed Soto to come to the plate. And I, and I was talking to Ray Knight about this earlier. And I don't know if you picked up on it during this at bat. But Cole didn't throw him one fastball. You know, after he had taken him deep in the fourth, he got behind 3 nothing in the count. And I was thinking before that 3-0 pitch with two runners on and two outs at that point, I was wondering if he would have, would have the green light on the fastball. And he didn't throw a fastball. He threw something off speed. And it was in the strike zone called strike. And I'm like, wow. Like, it's three... Don't you always see a pitcher pipe one right down the middle on 3-0? Well, especially when you have an overpowering fastball for right. the most part, yes. And he throws something off speed. And I mentioned that to Ray Knight, and he goes, oh my God, let me look at my notes. He goes, you're right. He didn't throw him one fastball, even at 3-0. That's how much he feared Soto, and feared that Soto might have a green light at 3-0. Then he, then he got him on the changeup. Remember that changeup where, where Soto actually gives him a nod? And mm -hmm. says, that was a hell of a pitch. And that got it to 3-2. And then he threw him another off-speed pitch. And Soto knocks it off the wall. And it's a double. It's a two-run double. And it's a 5-2 lead. And you're like, wow. And then Kendrick's up and lines out to the shortstop, which was the, the best hit of the night. He got robbed on that hit. But it was a big moment to... You know, not throw Soto in a three nothing count. Like at that point, I'm thinking maybe he just wants to walk him and get to Kendrick with the bases loaded. 
you know, why why serve something up on that three one pitch? Um, but he got him on the changeup, and by the way, he came out of his shoes on that changeup, and then that double, and Soto's a superstar. Like we did, we all knew that anyway. Last night on the biggest stage, he goes three for four with three RBIs in his first World Series game. He becomes the fourth youngest player in history to hit a home run in his first World Series. Uh, in, in in the World Series period, yeah. pretty good company. <clears throat> those other three yeah, guys: Mantle, uh, Andrew and Jones, and Miguel Cabrera, and Miguel and Cabrera. Yeah, pretty damn good company. Um, that was big. And then you get to the eighth. All right, you get to the eighth inning, and you've got a five-three lead after Rainey gives up the home run. And you get that. Um, it, it gave up that home run in the seventh, and you're in the eighth, and Hudson's in there, and you get Tucker to single to center. And then Tucker tags up on a flyout to Robles in center. Robles makes the bad decision. My my thought was, tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think he saw Tucker running and thought that he hadn't tagged up and he was trying to double him up at first. Yes, that's exactly <clears throat> like that's the only thing that makes sense is he just saw him off the base and, and yeah. figured he was either heading back or you know, he just he he went for whatever reason. But Tucker had tagged up, yes. and he made it easily to second because Robles threw through to Zimmerman at first, and then Springer's up, and Springer, who is already homered, you know, he's homered in the seventh off of Rainey, and now he hits a deep shot to right that looks like a game tying um, home run, two run sh- homer, and he sits there and he poses. It should have been a triple. It absolutely should have been a triple. I also thought that Eaton had a decent chance to make the catch. You said that the probability was 20%. It seemed higher to me than that, but whatever. Springer not being on third in a 5-4 game with Altuve up next and one out was a killer for Houston. Mm -hmm. You don't know that the at-bat for Altuve doesn't take on a different presentation, that it's not pitched differently, it's not hit differently, but Altuve lines out to right to Eaton, which would have scored Springer. And the game would have been tied, but Springer sat there, you know, like a lot, you know, a lot, a lot of young players, not just young players, and sat there and watched what he thought was a two-run game-tying homer, and he should have been on third. And his excuse, by the way, was was lame. He said that he didn't want to catch up with Tucker. He wouldn't have I, caught up with Tucker. Well, that ball was high. He would have had to slow up around second. That's the one thing. People are saying that, and I don't know for sure he would have gotten to third. It would have been fairly likely he was on third, but yes, he probably would have had to slow up around second uh, when that ball did eventually land. Still, you know, to have a runner on third more likely than not with one out in a 5-4 game would have been rather big. Um, Altuve lined out. Brantley then gets Doolittle. Doolittle had 13 pitches for four outs. That's pretty impressive. And Brantley's line out to Soto to end the inning was well hit. You know the only ball that was legitimately well hit. I, I guess the the, the two um, the two center field um, uh, fly balls in the ninth. None of them were super super deep. Um, but Doolittle gets through. You know four out a uh, four out save uh, safely. And there were moments in this game that were interesting. <clears throat> you know I go back to you know Robles having a difficult time in center field. He overjumped that ball early in the third. Made the throw again. Maybe that's excusable because he thought Tucker. You you got to give him. I played enough baseball, you know, to know that you're getting an indication from somebody in the infield on where to throw the ball, uh, and he threw it to first. Um, but there were the there was the Suzuki interference that's not reviewable. There was the play where Brantley was held up by the third base coach Pettis. 
uh, on his way home and there was no contact. They said that wasn't reviewable. I actually didn't think there was contact on that. There might have <clears> been <throat> some contact, but it was very incidental contact. Yeah. Um, it would have been one of the, like, a lot of people were up in arms about it and maybe by the rules, but it was one of those things where it was really ticky-tack. Actually, I went and read the rule this morning. Base coaches can be called for interference if the umpire determines that they physically assisted a runner yeah, definitely <clears> by grabbing or holding it. said yeah. runner um, from leaving or returning to first or third base. Uh, and that that was not what happened. Catcher interference by Suzuki I thought was more obvious, but that was not a reviewable uh, play as well. Um, couple things. Number one, Corbin being used last night. <clears throat> you know, he came in, had 21 pitches. Uh, he certainly would be available tonight, even though he pitched 21 pitches. I guess if he doesn't pitch tonight, game three is still a possibility. If he pitches tonight, there's no chance it's a possibility yeah. he goes to game four. And maybe you you, you sort of you, you looked at me like you think he's pitching game four after last night, regardless of what his whether or not he pitches tonight. I won't say regardless, but I think four is far more likely than three at this point. Um, yeah, and why not? Because you do have a good option in Sanchez. He right. was brilliant the last time you know he went out there. You you have a good option in Sanchez. You're not going to be down o two. You know, at, at the very least, it's 1-1, so you can kind of... Obviously, you really want to win Game 3, but it's not one of those situations where, okay, no matter what, we're throwing out our... You know, who's considered our absolute best guy there, no matter what the tiredness is. You know, you have a good option in Sanchez. I think most likely, right now, they're thinking 3 goes to Sanchez, 4 goes to Corbin. Um, a couple of other things... Especially, by the way, because I think Cole does go Game 4 right now. Um, yeah, well, they're not going to... They, they don't have a legit fourth starter. Right. They, before, if they were up 2-1 or 3-0, they might have messed around with something. But, you know, when it's, you know, at best 2-1, they're going to throw Cole out there. You know, Tanner Rainey, actually, he's got good stuff. You know, and he gave, he gave up the homer um, to Springer... Then he strikes out Altuve in like four pitches, I think it was. Um, had forced, and then then he got into he couldn't find the strike zone. You know, he 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 walked Brantley, and then the first three pitches to Bregman, he had like seven straight balls. Ended up walking Bregman as well, and that was it for him. Like you know, Hudson's coming at the in at that point to to face. And he came in before Doolittle because there were right-handers in that spot. If there had been lefties in that spot, it would probably would have been Doolittle than Hudson last night. But um. But I mean that's that's been his that's why he wasn't really a factor <clears throat> yeah, for most of the season until late is because he does have those what, control though. he's problems. got some he's got some good stuff but clearly couldn't find the strike I mean, zone that, in that's big the spots story there. of you know how many Nats relievers over the years yeah exactly um big win last night tonight it's Verlander against Strasburg you know Strasburg is the Nats he's the the Nats best pitcher he's a big underdog tonight as well the odds have actually dropped Verlander early this morning was still a minus 200 favorite he's now down to minus 175 um in the game tonight um so so the Nats clearly getting some action um I actually played the over uh, six and a half last night. I think I mentioned that I was interested in the over on the on the show yesterday. the The over under t- right now is seven and a half. I've seen some sevens too. I think most people, the public just is expecting a low scoring game with the, with these great starting pitchers. I'll probably bet over tonight uh, as well. Here's the thing about this series. Even if the Nats somehow win tonight, this series is not over. Remember, Houston lost game one to New 
New York, seven to nothing. They were down in game two. They needed a Correa walk off in the eleventh to even up the series. They're so good. This is not St. Louis. Like when they came back from St. Louis after the Sanchez and Scherzer starts, I was like, feels like the series is over. If they were to win tonight with Scherzer and Strasburg, yes, it's it's unbelievable that they've beaten Cole and Verlander. But there's zero chance I'm going to feel, you know, tomorrow like the series is over. Houston's too good. They're too explosive. In fact, I'll tell you what, last night, the most shocking thing to me last night is what they did to Cole and that Houston didn't come back. You know, they had the opportunities in the seventh and eighth and then really went out meekly in the ninth. Mm -hmm. You know, I was expecting a better ninth. Doolittle's been really good recently, and I'm happy for him. And, you know, the first batter he came in for was a lefty in Brantley, and he got him out. You know, and that was huge in the eighth inning. Um, I just thought the Astros had so much, you know, so much offensive power that once Scherzer was out of there, I was thinking they're going to, the Nats are going to need six, you know, five or six minimum. They needed five minimum. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Houston's too good to get swept or to lose this series in five. Although the only way you can sweep a team is to win the first game. Yes. <laughs> you know, you can win it in five by losing the first, but you can't sweep them if you don't win the first. Here's the truth. No matter what happens in this game, barring catastrophic injury, the Astros are still going to be favored in game three. Maybe not game four, but if Cole pitches, very likely game four. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. They they may. I mean, right now the series. I mean, it's going to be Verlander Sanchez, or yeah, uh, excuse me, it's going to be Granky Sanchez in Game Three. Granky's going to be favored in that game. Right now, the series odds after one game have dropped from minus two thirty five. Houston was a massive favorite for the series. They lose Game One with Garrett Cole, and they're minus one twenty. They are barely slight, slight favorites to win the series now. I think there were two major reasons why Houston was a massive favorite uh, before Game 1 and now are barely favored after Game 2. Number one was the layoff and the history of te- teams that sweep that have a long layoff and the momentum they typically lose offensively. That was a big deal. The other one was Houston's been there and the Nats hadn't been there. And I think that was responsible for the big price, you know, the hefty you know number on Houston. But after last night, the Nats, you know, five runs, nine hits, eight of them, all five runs and eight hits against Garrett Cole, and they certainly didn't seem to be overwhelmed by the moment, including their youngest player and their oldest player who had never been there before, and that's why now the odds makers have dropped it so significantly. It is not only that the Nats are up one nothing in the series and have the advantage, but the big disadvantages that they thought the Nats had coming in, no experience and the long layoff, those are eliminated now. Now they do have some experience, and they don't have any layoff because they both played last night. Um, anyway, we're going to be back tomorrow, talk about the World Series, get to Cooley here in a moment. Quick word about mybookie.ag. If you're looking for reliability, fast payouts, solid, fair lines, and any proposition bet, any betting opportunity that exists anywhere else, guys, I promise you that mybookie.ag fits all of those requirements. There are people out there that you can't trust, and I'm telling you, I've done the research. MyBookie.ag is one of the biggest and one of the best and one of the most reliable. Go to MyBookie.ag today. Use my code, KevinDC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C. They'll double your first deposit if you use my code. MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. 
All right, let's bring in Chris Cooley, talk some Redskins. Uh, Skins and Vikings tomorrow night in Minnesota. Minnesota's a 16-point favorite tomorrow night. Uh, they've won three in a row. The Redskins are 1-6, and six, as we all know. Um, I'll just start with the question that I think everybody um, is asking each other um, in Redskin Nation, if you will. Um, and it's a question that we keep asking uh, each other. Um, why not Dwayne Haskins now? I'm asking that same question, Kevin. I don't know the exact answer. My thought would be that if you come in as an interim head coach, you want to prove to your team that you can win some games. And that's also that's also saying that you don't think he's ready as an interim head coach or, or, or as a coaching staff in its entirety. But it, he threw 12 passes last week in the rain. I mean, I don't know. And I'm sure that game plan was that going in. We all... We all knew because they talked about the fact that he had a Wednesday practice, that he did take reps in the week. But, you know, really interesting if they get to the bye week here and then don't play him. I think that will be fascinating to, to not play him after the bye week. Well, he he has actually indicated, um, I guess, um, I forget who had this, Aaron. You can uh, update uh, everybody on who had this. I don't want to miss represent anybody it could have been jp could have been standing i don't know who it was but that 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 really you know there he's not even sure that he'll be ready uh after the bye week which would be a lead up to the jet game i mean like i mean i i know we're having fun with this to a certain degree but it's also mystifying because if you keep coming up with excuses as to why he can't play you know minnesota's a short week buffalo's a, a ridiculously good defensive team um, the Jets, it's Greg Williams, and, and you know what Greg Williams will do to a rookie quarterback. And then, you know, I mean, where do you play him? The Lions are decent defensively. And then the Lions are a man-to-man defense that plays just like the Patriots, and they're going to show you multiple fronts. And then we're going to go back through and recycle the Eagles and the Cowboys. I mean, maybe he fits in that Giants game with the defense that's going to be depleted late Jesus in the year. I, but, but there's no answer to when you play him based on the other team's defensive abilities. You play him – now, in my opinion, I, that, I do understand that this. Let's not change the dynamic. Let's go with the guy that we all believed in to start the season, and let's try to get our team some wins. As an interim coach, who's trying to get guys to work harder or whatever you're trying to do. So I, I don't agree per se because I think the longevity, like the macro, is that you probably need to understand what you have Dwayne Haskins as soon as you possibly can, i.e. like when your team is still willing to work really hard, even though you're one and six. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you said it and I was going to ask you anyway, I mean the, the, with the bad weather and the game plan that they had, I mean, would he have really been at risk handing the ball off 26 times and throwing it 12, you know, especially some of those, you know, four of those passes were just, you know, behind the line of scrimmage shovels, like would he would his whole psyche been at at massive risk if if he had you know gone in there and operated the way Case Keenum operated? Probably has bigger hands. He probably would have been able to grip the ball better. <laughs> Look, no, he wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been, and it would have obviously there was something going on behind the scenes with when Dwayne's going to play and the timetable for for who wants him to play when and how and you know there's 
we'll find out. I just think, in my opinion, it's time. Because I, I don't want the bye week. Like, let's just say that you, you go, even if you go one and one over the next two, which is, is tough, but you go one and one, you're, you're sitting there at two and seven, it's, and you, you've had a week off, and the players have had really a very, a very good moment uh, to look at it and have some clarity and say, look, this is where we're at. I mean, come on. The, the, se- the season's of, over. Of an NFL team. So, so, yeah, but right now they're still in that midst of the grind, and it's the next week and it's the next game. And so I think it's a good time to to find out what you have in, in Haskins. But you know, maybe there's a longer plan that uh, we'll find out about. Well, you, you've mentioned that a couple of times, so I'm going to follow up on that. Do you think there's I a I know nothing about uh, that. Do you? Okay, I'll ask it this way. Yeah, yeah, let me put it this way. Yeah, there's a plan. We don't know. Do you think there's a possibility that he doesn't play at all this year? I can't in any way imagine that. Okay. But you do think there's a possibility that we're still several weeks away from him playing? I think there's a possibility. I don't know, but I'm saying that with the foresight of wanting to play him. I know. know, No, I mean, you've made that clear. that If it were you, you, he'd be playing right now. I understand that. Um, but you know, I just want to know what to do with that second draft pick or that third draft pick or potentially that first draft pick. I, I want to know what I have in my guy and when, how do I want to build around him? And by the way, Bill has said, like, you ran the ball a lot against San Francisco, but Bill's made it very clear that he wants to be a run first team. And so the theory is, is that you're going to be in a lot more run downs. You're going to go with a lot more run action pass. And so you're operating a lot in the style of the way Dwayne would have the best success. Right. His offense right now. I mean, it's not like it was a rain game, so he ran the ball. They're going to run the ball. That's Bill's M.O. So, you know, I think that when you're in a world where you're not going to drop him back 35 times a game, then what what are you worried about? But. When we have our team, we'll do it our way. <laughs> yeah, when we have our team. Hey, maybe that'll happen one day. Um, you know, so you've alluded to the macro, the big picture, and I, I, I want to go to the, the, you know, the more immediate picture of what happened Sunday and what may happen uh, tomorrow night before we get back to some of the bigger picture issues. I actually thought, and I said this, you know, you, you, you know how people hear and they hear what they want to hear and they read the, you know, what they want to read on Twitter. But I, I basically said, you know, you can think, as I do, that the organization, big picture, is a total mess, and it's a disaster, and there's not much hope moving forward. But you can also say about Sunday, they actually played pretty well for them. You know, I'm not comparing it to any good team in the NFL, but for them, it was a pretty decent overall effort, and they had a legitimate chance to win the football game. You know they're driving down third nothing, uh, down three nothing late in the third quarter. They're already in field goal range when when Peterson fumbled. But I actually thought it was one of their better overall games, even though it was ugly to watch. But that they had a legitimate chance to beat an undefeated team. You can say both of those things. What did what do you think about my feeling that it actually wasn't? You know, it was far from the worst game they played all year, and it may have been the best game they played all year. I think the rain helped them, and really, you looked at the game and you said a missed field goal, a fourth and one that you didn't convert on, and a fumble, all in 49ers territory, 
and nine points out of those three drives would have obviously given you a chance to tie that game or put you in the lead. And, you know, if you get a touchdown there, you probably win that game. And so I, I look at this, and we've talked about this, is, is a roster that's built to stop the run first because late in the season in the NFC East, you're going to play some weather games and people are going to have to run the ball, and that's the way they designed this defense. It, it's unfortunate that they gave up so much to the air through the first six weeks that they didn't necessarily compete enough. But this is the strategy of this defense. You bolster that front and you say, look, even good running teams are going to average 3.5 yards a carry, which is what San Francisco did. So it gave you a bunch of opportunities. Offensively, they just had to take advantage a little bit more, and I I think they struggled. And You look at the game that you had an opportunity to win but couldn't figure it out. So I was impressed with the way the defense played for sure. I was impressed with the effort across the board. And I just look at it, and I say, look, they just got to find a way to operate better on offense. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, how many passes they threw. And, you know, we've always heard in the past, you know, a wet field is advantage, you know, offense because the defensive players don't know, you know, what what, what the offense is going to do and they don't have good footing. I, I actually ha- was had sort of a contrarian view to that on Monday, and I want your thoughts. I, I would have much preferred more shots, more early down you know, um, play-action shots from Keenum and from Kevin O'Connell. But I thought O'Connell actually felt the game, you know, in a way in which it's like this is going to be a low-possession game, which it was. The Redskins only had seven possessions in the game. Um, It's going to be a low-scoring game. Mistakes are going to be magnified. They're really good defensively and fast, and if we drop them back too much, that's going to lead to a big mistake that'll make the final score 23 to nothing instead of, you know, maybe 6 to nothing with a chance on the final drive. And I actually thought O'Connell, again, I would have preferred more shots, you know, and more opportunities to throw the ball, but not a lot more. I actually thought he felt the game pretty well. Do you di- do you agree or disagree? I am split on that. So uh, I think that first and 10 was a situation where they could have been much better and have to be this season. They're last in the league in yards for play on first down, and that is a big down play. It's 17 first and 10s, if you conclude one first and five, which is, to me, the true balance situation. They had 14 runs, three passes. Two of the passes came in two-minute drills at the end of the half and at the end of the game. And one pass came at the se- in the second-to-last drive down 6-0. Right. Out of the 14 runs, you had two 15-yard carries, which were, were good plays for them. But essentially, other than that, you didn't get anything. And as they got into the second half of the ball game, it was all duo or dive or pound draw or whatever you want to call it. And they were getting like one yard a carry. So... I think that those first down situations, San Francisco absolutely dared them to throw the ball. They played eight guys in the box, and even if it was a sub-package or 11 personnel, they said, you're not going to throw it, and we didn't throw it. And it's not that it just has to be a play-action shot. I mean, you can go three-step, you can go screen, you can go some of those different things. Uh, but you, you could run outside. I mean, you at least have to have the inside out so that if you're only going to run the ball and find a way to get outside. Like, they had two tosses, one to Smallwood early, that were very well-blocked plays, and they, they only went back to it once. Right. So I, I thought the second down was much better. Kevin got him into some good plays in third-down situations. And then other than a couple third-down calls, you know, and it's it's tough there. I thought he was fine. Um, they scored zero points. Yeah, so, well, I understand that. <laughs> 
Like you, you, what you're, but what you're saying is you didn't give the forty nineers. You got to talk into the phone. We're losing you there. Yeah, what, what you're saying is you didn't give the forty ers points. So there's something to be said about that. But I think first down balance has got to be better for them. <clears throat> the um. By the way, I I think you know this, and I'm assuming that you guys talked about this. Do you know what the Niner defense, pass defense, has allowed in their last three games now? Yeah, the Niner defense is amazing in almost every category. So, yeah, I do understand. But but have you ever heard in this era, I haven't seen this stat put out there. They held Baker Mayfield to 100 yards passing, 78 to Goff, and 77 to Keenum. Like, these are numbers that aren't low. They're unheard of in today's NFL. Like, and they've done it to three straight quarterbacks, which I I just find, you know, remarkable. Like, I I can't imagine in the last 20 years of the NFL that a pass defense has gone three consecutive games of holding the starting passer to 100 yards or less through the year. I just can't imagine that that's happened. I would bet not in the last 10. Baltimore did it when they won the Super Bowl, which was the, I'm sure they did, which was within the last 20. But they're awesome up front, man. They, they create great pressure, and they play sound coverage behind it. They're mostly a, a zone team. They play cover four and cover three, essentially, with very few man principles, and, and they do it very well. So it's a good defense. But it doesn't mean that you can't find a way to try to throw the ball right. in first and 10. And, and that's, to me, just – even if you're trying to take a couple shots, it's opening it up for the next first and ten where you want to run the ball. Sure. Um, One other thing, two other things from the game on Sunday. Uh, I know we've had this conversation before, but I want to have it again briefly. In the NFL, when it's fourth down and one, or even less than one, and you go heavy with like 18 offensive linemen and one running back and – the other team's got basically 10, if not 11, in the box. Um, it just seems to never work. Like, when you line up and you say, hat on a hat, we're going to win at the point of attack, we're giving the ball to number 26 here. He's getting the ball, trust me, and you're not going to stop it. That it just doesn't ever seem to work. I knew pre-snap, based on just watching football, that that wasn't going to work. Am I right about that or wrong? <laughs> Well, you, I'd like you to be wrong because I would like to be good enough up front for you to be wrong. Uh, but you're right. It, it, you added like the the strength of the 49ers defense, even though they, they have been getting passes, is their front four, five, six, even seven defensive linemen. So you're putting one of their best players on the field to add your fullback who got here this week or to add your backup tight end who got here two weeks ago. And so... You, you're putting one of their best players on the field in a critical situation and taking one of your best players off the field. That said, man, if they would have had some kind of leak to one of the tight ends or some kind of outlet pass, right. or some kind of option off of that. And it's funny because, you, I don't know, you watch teams like New England get quarterback sneaks all the time. And and I promise you those are what what Bill Callahan or what anyone would call can systems or check with me systems where – if Tom has a gap, he takes a sneak. He just nudges the center and says, let's go, let's go, or whatever. And if he doesn't have a gap, then he touches his helmet and they get to play B. Like, you needed another play opportunity in that situation. When San Francisco matched your goal line front with their goal line front, there had to be another call. And sometimes it's hard. Like, here, here's the other thing that's hard about what they did. 
how many times have you seen on film in the field what San Francisco is going to do to a goal line front? Right, like so you. I don't know if I wa- I watched every San Francisco game. I don't know if anyone went straight heavy goal line personnel in the field against them. Right. So you don't know exactly what front they're going to play. When you say in the field, rather than at the goal line. At the goal line. Right. You don't know how they're going to match you. Right. Are they Are they going to match you with their heavy, or how are they going to match? What front are they going to play? For what run you're going to get? Do they stunt into those looks? So you, you, you kind of provided an unknown entity. Um, to what you were going to see. Right. So, I, yeah, I didn't particularly like that play call. I did think in real time, like, AP should have just went hard over the top. And maybe he should have, but I don't even know if he's getting a pen. They were That run was smothered. Yeah, that thing was smothered. He had no chance for liftoff. By the way, while, while you were talking, I was looking up the 2,000 um, Ravens that won the Super Bowl with that great defense. They didn't have a three-game stretch of holding the starting passer to less than 100 yards. They had a two-game stretch. Um, they, they, they were really good on defense. That is really one of the great defensive teams of all time. And I'm not, a, I'm not in any way putting the 49ers into that class at this point. I just find it absolutely remarkable and unprecedented that you could do what they've done in the last three, week, three weeks. First of all, they've held the Browns, Rams, and Redskins to 10 total points. Like, you don't see that in the NFL. But what you really don't see in the NFL anymore is a passing you know, stat line of 13 of 24 for 78 yards, which is what Jared Goff was last week. You just rarely see that, let alone three times in a row. Um, the, mo- the most astounding number for San Francisco right now, because I looked at it going into the game. Third down? Is for, no, that's good. But first down's against. It, they were giving up 65 total which led the league going into last week. We had 10, so they're at 75. The next best team was like at 115. And then it goes like 115, 117, 119. You know how everyone does, like yeah. one or two better than the next. They were <clears throat> 45, 50 better than the next team. It's unheard of to be that much better in a single statistic. They do not give up first downs. Well, you're talking about a first down play. Nope. So- First downs against, like another team achieving a first downs and moving the chain. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, the numbers, their third down defense was one for 20 coming in in their last two games. Yeah, and now now it's four for 29. I would assume that right now for the season, they've got the number one third down defense. I'm going to check on that right now. It's got to be, if it's not the best, then maybe New England's got the best. Right. But, it's, but it's um, The 49ers are actually third. They, they're third. Yeah, yeah, but you don't have to give up first downs on first and second down, and they don't. Understood. Understood. Um, they're th- but, but, no, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. By the way, the Patriots are number one in the league in third down defense, allowing third downs on 14.3% of the third downs against. The Patriots Cal- still haven't played anybody. Exactly. They're, they're excellent on defense. There's no doubt about it. But they've played the Dolphins, the Bills, the Jets twice, us. You know, it's not it's not like they've played any powerhouse offenses. Totally. They will agree. be good all year though. Trust me, they're a good defense. There's no taking that. <clears throat> no, I agree with you. I mean, it's like I mean, I, we, I talked about it yesterday with Tommy on the podcast and on the radio show. They're really good, but how can you really measure and how can you even, you know, begin to talk about them as an all-time great defense which which by the way, Aaron Joe Tessitore the other night was I mean, so obnoxious, oh, off the charts about the Patriot defense against the Jets. 
they have now played the Jets twice, the Redskins, the Giants, the Bills, by the way, without Josh Allen. They faced Blaine Gabbert for, for half the game, right? Was it Blaine Gabbert or somebody else? Uh, I forget who who the backup quarterback was in that game. The Dolphins and the Steelers when Ben Roethlisberger was playing with one arm. Matt Barkley. It was Barkley, not not Gabbert, in the uh, Bills game. All right. Well, um, Joe Tosatoro is insufferable, but so is. But I just I haven't said this anymore. You got to talk into the phone. You keep moving away from. The I'm phone. talking into the phone, homeboy. Right. Okay, do it better so, and more consistently. So, so Joe, Joe <laughs> This is the way. By the way, we talk to each other all the time, on and off the air. All right, continue. But 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 Booger McFarland, can he? I hate being overcritical of color guys because that's what I do, and yeah. I, I mess up as well. But I have no problem saying I did something wrong. He's got to stop guessing at coverages and going crazy. Like Tom Brady threw a touchdown pass on a seam ball early in the game, or like second quarter, and he Booger's sitting there going, "I just don't understand what he's doing." It's clear man-to-man coverage. I just don't get it. It's clear cover three, and he's keying quarterback eyes, and Brady looked it off. It's like it's not man-to-man, Booger. You're killing me. I mean, just four or five times in the first half of that game, he's guessing at coverages, and he's wrong. And I'm like, I can't watch this. Right. I can't do this with you, buddy. And then you're killing another guy, and you're saying he's doing something, and you're killing him for something he's not even doing. Okay, that's off my chest. Um, all right. Uh, I do. There's a few more things I want to get to before you have to get onto a plane or whatever you're doing here today. Um, they play Minnesota tomorrow night. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, by the way, gave the game ball to Mike. You saw that, right? I did. That was nice of him to do that. <clears throat> I can't imagine. That was weird. You think it's weird? His dad didn't earn that game ball. No, he didn't. You're right about that. He did not earn the game ball. Although you don't know that because you don't know how much Mike is helping the 49ers from you know his house in either you know Cabo or or Denver. I mean, he's right. watching a so, lot of film, yeah, so, I can tell you that. He's watching a lot of film. He knows the 49ers inside out and knows the opponents. He, his dad put together that offensive game plan that got them 3.5 yards per <laughs> rush and 9 yards, so good job. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I love him. You know I like Mike. I I'm not being critical of Mike right now, but that was weird. Um, now they get the, the Kirk game, which if the Nats weren't in the World Series, somebody tweeted this to me. They said Thursday night, if the Nats, well, if the, the, the Nats aren't playing on Thursday night, but somebody tweeted to me, Thursday night's game against Kirk Cousins might break Twitter, you know, for, for Redskin fans and Viking fans. Um, he's obviously gotten it together. Um, by the way, and I, you know, last year this was the case like four or five weeks into the season, so, you know, take it for whatever it's worth. But the last three weeks of Cousins. You know, he, he, he became the first NFL passer in history to go three consecutive games with 300-plus yards and a passer rating of 130 or higher. He's got the number one passer rating in the NFL right now. And, Aaron, somebody tweeted this to me, and I was shocked. Do you know that right now Kirk Cousins is number seven on the odds for MVP behind Rodgers, Wilson, Watson, McCaffrey, Jackson, and Brady? I think it depends on the book. I've seen it anywhere from seven to nine, but yeah, he's he's up there right now. Ridiculous. He's not going to win the MVP. He's they played three very average defensive teams, but they have a different mindset, and that is they're going to let him throw and they're going to do you know they're going to run a lot of play action. How much have you watched any Minnesota tape? How is he playing? What are the challenges against the Vikings? Well, the challenge is that Kirk gets the ball out of his hand quickly, and he knows where he wants to go with the ball, and 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 
combined with the fact that they run it very effectively. Yes, they do. I'm interested in how that conversation went with Zimmer after, what, four weeks and everyone complaining. Finally, what Zimmer say, fine, just 10% more passes. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you paid a quarterback that X amount of fully guaranteed money and you want to show up and run the ball every down. Like, okay, sounds good, coach. Let's go do it. He's got great weapons, Cousins does. Stealing and Diggs are exceptional. Diggs provides that true over-the-top read, which gets other guys absolutely wide open. And Kirk's been really good over the last three games. Is it Kirk or Kurt? I think it's Kurt. Yeah, it's Kurt. Um, do you know who's really good for them? Um, Dalvin Cook's really good. Everybody knows about Dalvin Cook. Their backup running back out of Boise State, who they took in the third round, Alexander Madison, is a really good back. Number 25, Cooley, this dude's really, really good. I'd like to actually know what he's averaging yards per carry right now. I'm going to look that up um, because every time he touches it, it's a big chunk play. He's averaging 4.9 yards per carry, um, and he's getting – you know, early on, he was getting you know eight, nine, ten, fourteen carries when they, uh, you know, when they when they were running Cook when on every single play. Times a game. Yeah, um, yeah, but he, they, they, there's no doubt. I don't think their offensive line is very good, but I think the play calling now is keeping people off balance, and the fact that they can run the football, or at least they have against three, two, you know, average defensive teams. Uh, Philadelphia was banged up in that game. Uh, the Giants they're are terrible. secondary for sure. Yeah, they're secondary. Um, Detroit's actually been pretty good defensively all year. But anyway, um, do they? I was thinking actually going into this that I think the Redskins defense has a chance to play well tomorrow night. What do you think? I would agree that they have a chance to play well. I think they could stop the run. And if I'm playing Kirk, I'm playing tight press man to man coverage to get him off his one read as soon as possible because when he gets off his one. That's where he starts to get in a little bit of trouble. Get him off his one read, play the check down, play the back close, or blitz the back to keep him into the backfield. He should be in pretty good shape. You know, that's the, like Kirk's, Kirk's deal is understanding where he wants to go with the ball. So you gotta you gotta take him off his first couple shots. Yeah, and then if if you take him off those shots, there's no doubt that's his weakness. Like when when we've all watched him enough, and I've watched him a lot in Minnesota. When that first read and maybe that second read isn't there and there's pressure, that's when he feels it. And that's when, you know, he's got trouble hanging on to the ball with traffic and you can get him to cough it up once or twice in the pocket. Fumbles are actually more, you know, a bigger opportunity than even interceptions. But what I think they've done recently here is they've said if you're going to play tight man and take away his first thing, we're throwing the ball deep. Like he's going to go deep, you know, against man coverage, um, and Diggs is really a difficult cover. They, I, I, they may not get Thielen tomorrow night. He got hurt in that game against the Lions. I don't know what his. Yeah, yeah. If they don't, if they don't get Thielen back, I, I, I put Dunbar on whoever number two is in that game because they'll rotate throughout, and I just bracket Diggs all day. I play, say, I, I try to lock Dunbar on there too, and I bracket Diggs all day. Play yeah. him, play him double them up all day. And so you turn down their their one read to their, their two receiver, you make it really hard to get it to Diggs, and then he's got to check it down and your backers have to be good. Um, that's what I would do against these guys. But So it's kind of a man-zone combination. And, and then interior pressure is what really hurts Kirk. Uh, don't blitz him a ton. He sees blitz really well. He's a good quarterback against the blitz. So I wouldn't blitz him a bunch. 
but uh, you shouldn't have to. You know, you should be able to get pressure with four. Yeah, they're, they're not a big line. Their offensive line is not good. Um, all right, a couple of other Redskin related things. Um, this Trent Williams thing now has gotten to the point where it's almost like you know when Bruce thought fifty three million dollars to Kirk guaranteed was a good deal that that was market value and he was so far from reality. He has this thing. He said something, you know, towards the the end of training camp that that the best time to trade a player is before free agency or at the latest before the draft. It's ridiculous to consider trading people sort of after the draft. Meantime, he traded for HaHa Clinton Dix last year in the middle of the season. Like this is the time when you can actually get somebody really good when they're desperate. Why isn't Trent Williams? tradable why are they holding back on trading him it doesn't make any sense to me all of the reports last week Dorsey's calling not not every Dorsey's calling him every week to check his availability and Bruce is saying no give me a, a, a logical reason as to why the Redskins wouldn't be listening and actively trying to trade for Trent Williams right now in a market that would be hot for him right now with at least two teams if not more than that that Trent doesn't want to play for somebody without them negotiating a new contract. Okay. So the Jalen Ramsey thing's perfect. Is Jalen Ramsey goes to L.A. and he says, I'm not going to hold out for the Rams. I'm going to play the deal and we'll work it out in the future. I, I, the more I think about it, the more – because everybody heard the Patriots offered a first and what, a sixth, a first, first and. and. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the offer initially – and then they went to Trent and said, uh, cool, are you ready to do this? He says, not without a deal. And they go back and they say, no, we're not giving you that to try to negotiate a deal with him. Because if you have to negotiate a deal, it looks more like the Antonio Brown trade where the Raiders got him before they thought he was crazy, where they gave up a third end. Right. So I think when you have to negotiate a deal with Trent, you're talking somewhere a second and something. And that probably hasn't been appealing enough to the Redskins. That would be my guess. But, yeah. and, but me saying that right now, you don't have a second this year. Unless you really think you want to work out a deal at the end of the year and things are going to be fine and you're going to make this better, I'm going to take a second. Yeah, I think some of these teams would have done that. Maybe not the Patriots. I think you might be 100% right about the Patriots. I think, you know, whether it was Cleveland or, you know, recently or Houston. Cleveland's almost out of it. So Yeah, um, Houston, they, they would have been willing to take the risk without a new deal. Um, you know, they're, they, they've done it already. They did it with Tunsil without exactly. a new deal. Exactly. So I, I don't think that – I think that explanation actually – Tunsil's younger, though. I understand that, but you, but what they gave up for him, even if you got half as much as they gave up for Tunsil, it would have been a phenomenal deal. Um, anyway, uh, that's that. Um, yeah, that's that's my only thought is that Trent doesn't want to do it without a new deal. But I don't. I that's a guess. So yeah. Um, you you've been so right about so many things, and I'm not doing that just because you're on. I I, I say this even when you're not on. I your your ability to sort of evaluate talent you know coming out of the draft or players in the NFL already or coaches I just have always sort of been amazed at how often you are spot on you know after the fact you know a year later 
you know, you, I mean, I've already mentioned multiple times this year that you really liked Gardner Minshew, thought he would be a great, you know, third, fourth round quarterback option for the Redskins. And you said about Lamar Jackson coming out in that draft, you said, look, he'd be the best running back in this draft, and he's going to be a really good football player if he gets to the right team that uses him in the right way. We're seeing that with the Ravens right now and just how electric he is and how when he's on the field, he is, he may not be, look, they may be going one read and the check down is you running the RG3, you know, 2012 strategy. Um, But when he runs, he looks like the best back in the league. And it's just, he's so exciting to watch. What do you make so far of, of him and the way the Ravens are using him? Well, Greg Roman's about an assistant coach of the year right now in the way he's using Lamar Jackson. And I, like I said, I'd take him in the first round if he would play running back receiver. If he'd be Christian Caffrey, I would have taken him early in the first round. I think he had the ability to do that all along. He'll keep developing as a quarterback. I don't want to take away from the fact that he can become a decent quarterback, but I want him to put it more in the, in the picture of this, is, this could change this position to some extent. Let's not... It's not derogatory to say a quarterback's a better runner. It, it really isn't. Can you win games? Yeah, they are. The, the only question you're going to have with Lamar is how do you pay the guy? If he develops where he can protect himself in the pocket and make throws, it makes it a little easier like with Russell Wilson over a few years. But how do you, I want a guy that I know if when I pay him, I know I'm getting 16 games a year. Or my belief is I'm getting 16 games a year. and So it makes it a little... That's the one thing. That's why those guys want to be passers, because they want to be paid like passers. It's hard to trust that you pay a running quarterback. But outside of that, man, it is so much fun to watch Baltimore play football. It's different. It's exciting. Lamar is insane with the ball in his hands, and he still makes some big throws. Yeah, he does. He makes some throws that you, you cringe, but at the same time, he makes up for it. So I've been impressed with, with Baltimore and, and how they've used him, and my thing is, is, if I'm coaching that offense and he's willing, there's no way I'm not utilizing his skill set as a runner in my offense. He's so good. Yeah, and the, the funny thing is is that he does have a big, strong arm. He's not always accurate. You can see that. He's, you know, he's, he throws balls, as you said, make you cringe um, at times. Not, not in the way the ball is actually coming off his fingertips or being spun, but just it, you know, where he'll throw into, into an area where there's nobody but defenders. Where the ball's going. Yeah. Oh. Um, but what he does is he ex- every called pass play is like a, look, one read. If it's not there, you just do your thing. You start creating. And he makes he makes a lot of those big throws after extending the play. And he's so he's got great vision. You know, Griffin did not have the peripheral basketball vision. Lamar Jackson does. Russell Wilson does, obviously. Russell Wilson's a different quarterback. Lamar Jackson, once that first read isn't there, he's making big plays throwing the football because he's able to avoid the rush and move around and and sprint sideways and then back to the middle and make a play. And then, by the way, the entire defense is in conflict because once he comes off that read, they know he's about to kill you with his legs. I, that team is scary with him. He is He's really fun to watch. Yeah, and it's not just that they can dictate coverage in first and second down because you're so afraid of them running the football. And they are a very good team when it comes to running the football with Ingram and what they're doing with all their tight ends. 
he dictates coverage in third downs a lot of the time, and that's what you like. You just got to have a guy or two that can dictate coverage. We always talk about the one receiver can dictate it, but you you can't. You, there's a limited amount of things you can do in third down. You have to spy him, right? Like yeah, you have to have play your to. line. You can't you can't really drop your linebackers to real depth because he takes off and he's able to put his foot in the ground and <laughs> juke somebody like every play. So he's able to dictate and simplify what he's getting in the coverage because of his ability to run. He does. Not, he should not. He should not stop doing it. My advice to him would be: be you. Just be Lamar Jackson. It doesn't matter what people think of that. As of today, you can change the position. And by the way, so much of college football is that, anyways. That guys will be proud to be that kind of player in five years. You know, you you brought up the issue, and and it it is going to be the issue. Is you know he's in his second year. Um, the rookie deal is four. You got the team option for the fifth. Once you get to you know having to pay him quarterback money, that's going to be the challenge for them. You know, do they do they you know totally invest fifteen to seventeen percent in the quarterback position? You know, when when he's up for a new deal. Um, rest of the league, what's really impressed you? What's, you know, been disappointing with other teams? And and maybe you don't have quick answers to this, and if you don't, I'll bring up a couple. I have been really impressed with the Colts again and what they've been able to do with Brissett and Eberflus's defense is just awesome. They're able to shut the Chiefs and the Texans' offenses down. That's a no-name defense still to this point. They are awesome. Uh... I was so impressed early with the Chiefs' offense, and it's been a little bit disappointing, but that's because Mahomes has been hurt over the past few weeks, and their defense is not very good. Um, Carolina's been really interesting over the last few without Cam Newton. Their defense, McCaffrey's unbelievable. I think the Rams have lost creativity offensively. Sean was so creative, and now everybody's kind of playing them in quarters and understanding how to play them. And I think Sean's got to get back to his creative roots because he is so creative. Um, Seattle's been really impressive, and Russell Wilson's having an unbelievable year. I think that's been that's been awesome. I don't know what Dallas is. I, I get I'm getting the feeling that Philly's not as good of a team as everybody made them out to be early. So the NFC East is not as strong. Uh, the Cardinals have been fun. They're an interesting team. That that division. That NFC West is really interesting. To me. Yeah, there's good football going on. It's a weird, it's a weird year because there's like six teams who absolutely stink in the NFL, and there's six or seven teams who are awesome. I mean, let's not pretend the Patriots haven't been great. Brady's been impressive. They just got Sanu. They'll be a good team. There's, it's a good year for NFL. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned Carolina. I think they're impressive, and I think they're well coached. You know, I mean, Norv's got a guy that's actually running Norv's offense in a way that probably Norv really appreciates. I don't know what you. I forget if we've had conversations about Rivera in the past. I actually think he's pretty good, and I think his defenses are always really good. And that's a good defensive team right now. That division. Well, he just he just took over calling the defense. Uh, yeah, right. He hadn't for a few years. And right, because he, he had Wilkes. And he is and... a very good defense coach. You're right. Right. And I was going to say, mention the other team in that division that continues to win and looks so impressive without Drew Brees. New Orleans defensively. Good God. I mean, I, I know they were improved. Remember, we're just two, three years removed from them being among the worst defensive teams in the league. They're stopping everybody. I mean, it's hard so, to do anything against them. 
It's so amazing. I mean, they've added everywhere, but what a true lockdown corner can do for a defense. Like when they added, that defense was historically bad. They draft Latimer in the first round. Yeah. Years later, they're one of the top five defenses in the league. It's like you want to build pass rush and you want to build all these studs up front, but when you when you do things like New England can do, where you have three guys that can play really good man-to-man defense, you can do anything you want up front. You can do so many things with your front when you can play their three best players in man coverage. Well, and they have good guys up front. I mean, Jordan and Davenport are having huge seasons already. You know, didn't they did, – am I wrong about this? Did they trade into that spot to take Davenport? I think they did. I forget. I, 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 I can't remember. I, I can't remember either. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a, it's actually, you know, I want Mahomes to get back. I want to see the Chiefs at full strength. I don't think they're very good defensively at all. Um, which was their problem last year. But, you know, the AFC with with a potential postseason involving Kansas City, hopefully healthy, New England, Baltimore. You know, you mentioned the Colts. I still think Houston's pretty good. Um, Yeah, they are. You know, and then the NFC's really loaded. I mean, you think about just the NFC North, NFC South, and NFC West. Like, the the South has potentially two very good teams in the Saints and the Panthers. The North, everybody's capable you know, and then the West, everybody's capable. Man. Yeah, we, we, I left out Green Bay, who's been really good this year and better on defense, and the floor's done a heck of a job there. Yeah. Yeah, like you're looking at an NFC that 10 and 6 might not get you a wild card. That's right. That's right. So um, that's, that's 100% right. I mean, if you think about right now, the 49ers are undefeated. The Seahawks have, after losing to Baltimore, they now have two losses. The Rams Packers have one loss. I'm sorry. Rams have th- Packers have one loss, and so do the Saints. But I'm I'm thinking about the wild cards. Like Minnesota's got two losses. The Panthers have two losses. Seattle's got two losses. Rams three. Rams three. Um, Carolina two or three. Yeah, Carolina's Carolina's four and two or five and two. Um. So yeah, you're you're probably right that the two wild cards in the NFC neither's neither one of them is going to be worse worse than ten and six. You're well, probably... I think yeah. Well, I think one's going to be ten and six, and one's, one's going to be eleven and five. five yeah. and another ten and six team will not go. <clears throat> yeah, that that happened a few years ago. You know, the year where Bruce said that the Redskins were one game out in 2017 when they were actually four games out um, from the uh, the playoffs. I think uh, that particular year was the year where you had um, the Panthers and and the Falcons as wild card teams at like eleven and five or twelve and four and ten and six and then I think somebody else was ten and six and didn't make it or a bunch of nine speaking and of, sevens didn't make it. I'm sorry. The, I said speaking of the Falcons, how are you not Dan Quinn's getting fired this year? Um, you have Julio Jones, this kid Hooper's having a Pro Bowl year as a tight end. Matt Ryan, you. Running backs outstanding. How are you losing games the way they're losing games? Their defense isn't very good, but I mean they've been trying to build to the draft. They're just trading. They put Vic Beasley on the trade block. Like they are bad. They're Be- a bad team. Beasley's on the trade block. They got a second for Sanu from the I Patriots. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> me neither. That's why. Like you're going to tell me you can't get a first and a third for Trent Williams contract or no contract? Come on. Give me a break. All you're, but all you're trading for is the rights to negotiate a contract with Trent Williams. Well, you're also trading for him this year to play. Are you telling me that if he gets traded if, to New England or to... Um, what I'm telling you is if I don't know I can work out a deal, it's not worth a year for anybody 
to give up my first. Okay. A first is five years yeah, so of someone that I think is going to be an impact player for a long time. It's actually two with Trent. But if he says he's going to hold out, if you don't pay him, it's none. Is he going to try to come in before the accrued you know, season deadline, week 10, I think it is? God, that would be my advice. As much as you hate walking in the door anywhere without whatever, you, you can't let the Redskins toll your contract another year, which is what they'll have the right to do. Yeah, I mean, you're already in a position where the team president has essentially said that he wants to bleed you. You know, he 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 does he he's he's in a in a mono a mono. If the damn the well being of the franchise that doesn't matter at this point. It's about winning head to head with Trent Williams. And if you don't come in, that dude will sit there on next year and just let you hold out again. And then all of a sudden, nobody's going to want you because well, you're going to be 48 years old with two years well, left on your Redskin for, deal. He'll sit there for 10 weeks. <laughs> he should come in. Can you imagine coming in at 1-9 and nine or 1-8 and eight and saying, hey, I'm here. How's, how's it gone so far? Let's play some ball. By the way, you know, you know who stinks? You're a backup. Morgan Moses isn't, isn't very good. Uh, you know i did this segment on radio yesterday i think and maybe i did it on the podcast there would be no less than eight players that i would be actively trying to deal for future picks right now and you know kerrigan could bring something back if muhammad sanu could bring a second back kerrigan could bring a second back we know trent williams could bring a boatload back brandon sheriff did uh did tell i guess nbc sports washington that he wants to be a redskin um, moving forward, um, you know, it's probably not helping his cause where he's picking up these holding penalties each week. He had two of them last week. I still think he's a pretty good player, though. Think that I, I think he, I think teams will want a Brandon Sheriff. He's he's an athletic guard. Like you, you, do you agree, right, Brandon Sheriff? Golly, you know how much fun it would be to run an outside zone scheme with Brandon. Sheriff? Oh my God! Wouldn't 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 the Shanahan's love themselves some Brandon oh, Sheriff? He would be. He would be a dream in that scheme. Yeah. Uh, all right. Can I give you one what he got before I go? Yeah. I thought this was fascinating. I, I invited you to go to the MGM last week. I had a I Washington know, I Post go. dinner. Right. So we walked through, and we were going to go talk to a couple people, and Larry Michael and I walked through, and Trey Turner and Juan Soto are sitting in one of the little, like, not a dining, not a restaurant, but just a little dining area. Yeah. They're just having a nice little dinner. Not one person knows they're there. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Like, these two are the two stars of DC right now. It won't last any longer for them, but I remember those days. Where it's like, hey, let's just go uh, hang out. And everyone, they just look like kids, man. Golly, that's, it's just, I'm so excited for those guys. Did you win but any money? We went, we went, no, I lost. Actually, that night I didn't play. I went to the uh, Redskins alumni event, which was, like, one of the coolest things in the world for me. It was the first one I went to. Uh, and all like all the hogs were there, and Senator Jurgensen, and I mean, just go down the line of alumni. It was it was amazing, right? But I lost money that night. Um, well, we'll do one of those nights coming up. Um, I actually, God, I, you know, I, I told you that I was there over the summer, and it's a it's really a terrific casino. Like the MGM does it right, and it's easy. Like if you're not going there on a weeknight at six o'clock in rush hour. I, I, the the last when I the last time I went I think I told you this I went with with the uh, Window Nation guys I went with Harley 
and some of his guys. Um, we went to the Nats game, and then coming out of the Nats game, we're 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 at the tables within like 15 minutes. You know, after leaving the Nats game, that's actually a good night to do a baseball game and then do the MGM afterwards. Um, no doubt. All right, uh, what else? Is that it? I think that's it. That's thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. I always enjoy this. Um, I had a couple of what do you got this this week that would have been good for you had we been doing the show together, which is what we would would prefer to do. Um, one of them was just. Um, you know, th- this is a sports one, but you know what was really upsetting was the was the Sunday was the Sunday night game between the Eagles and the Cowboys. I don't know if you watched it, but I, li- God, I listened to you. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, they made such a big deal about that rivalry, like uh, the Redskin Cowboy rivalry. Compa- from outside the two markets, doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore. Uh, that 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 really upsets me. It, yeah, I get it, but you know what you got was more about the uh, coin toss. Oh yeah, I did that one too. Yeah, I mean, I, it's cracks me up. You're the rivalry your... will will go back to what it is if you win if the Redskins win games. So it's yeah. not going to go away. But you play twice a year. It just it, it'll become a rivalry again. But now the coin toss thing is so funny. People get so excited about saying you're trying to gain an extra possession, <laughs> or or hey, you know why we defer the coin toss? Because we want to ensure that we get back to back possession right. like Bill Belichick does every week. Yeah, the... like. There's no way that you can dictate this possession of the first half. <laughs> yeah, the old double possession deferral on the coin toss, like, and Al Although Michaels you can't get it if you don't defer the. Team. No, that's true. <clears throat> not getting it. It increases your uh, odds of getting a double possession because you're going to get it to start the second half. But to, to to suggest that, by the way, there's like a huge advantage to have the double possession, like okay. Uh, the other team might end up with the first possession of the game and the last possession of the game. That might be really impactful too. Um, anyway, no, the, no it's, it's funny because Jay Jay just chose to receive at home two weeks ago or three weeks ago yeah. in New England, and everyone's like, "You don't receive." If it has to do with the crowd coming out of halftime, who the hell cares what you do? We're going to put them in a bind. Well, I mean, Jay Jay was a, it was the road team at home, so he probably should have started on defense. But he could not wait to see Colt McCoy, a quarterback. That's why he he took the ball. He wanted to get Colt out there to start kicking some ass. Um, anyway, uh, all right. Um, tomorrow night will be interesting. I know you're watching the baseball too, and you're excited about the Nats. Um, we won't get into that. I just spent a half an hour on that. So that was so so much fun last night. And it looks like, you know, there's a chance for a second D.C. championship team here, you know, in two years, which would be awesome. There there is a chance. Remember that day that we sat together and talked and said, we don't want anybody else to win it before the Redskins do. I know. But you know what? I don't. Really, I don't. I don't feel the same way anymore. I really want the Nats to win the World Series. Really want them. So do I. I mean, look, the Caps thing. I've I've been very honest about this. I'm not a Caps fan. I, I I never have been really. I don't love hockey. I love playoff hockey. But I am a Nats fan, and I really do want the Nats. Somebody, by the way, took offense to this. Uh, I don't even think I mentioned it, Aaron. Somebody, when I mentioned a few weeks ago that I'm not a Caps fan, somebody uh, tweeted me, well, then how can you be doing a sports talk show in Washington? That was really, really demeaning and, and really ruined your credibility. And I'm like, really? There are a lot of people in this town that are doing sports talk radio that have other favorite teams that aren't D.C. sports teams. A lot of people. 
Um, that's not the requirement, by the way. Uh, but but it does help when you are a fan of the local teams, and I am. I'm a fan of all the local teams. I'm just not a big Caps fan. Never have been. Can't really answer it other than I never really got into hockey. Uh, but I'm a yeah. huge Nats uh, fan. Uh, I love it. And that parade that day was really impressive, and was I was thrilled for Alex Ovechkin, as you were. Um, it would, I'd be really happy for Ryan Zimmerman. If they won the World Series. Oh, no doubt. That that home run, oh my gosh, I jumped out of my feet. I know. All right. Uh, it sounds like you're getting out of the car. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Have a good trip. Bye. All right. Um, if you're listening to us, uh, which you are right now, if you're hearing my voice and hearing Cooley's voice, there's a new way you can listen. You don't have to do it this way, but it's really easy. You can download our app from the App Store on your iPhone or from the Google Store on your Android. Um, if you use the app, which by the way is a very easy app, like I, one of the things that Aaron and I really asked from the, the company that developed this is just keep it simple. I don't want a lot of options. I want people to hit the app and have the shows right there and available, the old shows right there that they can listen to. And they say, well, we want to put your Twitter up. Fine. But we're keeping it really simple. We only have one option in terms of a podcast. But you can get it through the app now. Um, that's helpful, easy. And if you would rate it and review it on the app, um, if you're given that opportunity, um, rate it, obviously, five stars. Uh, that would be most helpful. That helps us as well. If you're going to continue to listen the way you've listened, that's fine, too. You know, on any of the places that you're listening, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Subscribe where you can subscribe. It doesn't cost you a dime to do it, and it helps us out. Uh, that's it for today. Back tomorrow with Game 2 recap and a preview of the Thursday night game, which is Redskins-Vikings tomorrow night. Enjoy the day.